Good morning all. Hope you are warm enough or are in warm coats. For those who don't know me, my name is Adam Richards. I'm one of the uh, ministers here at the church and we're going to read through that passage and hear what God has to say to us. So let us pray as we come to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the great blessings you have given us. Help us to understand what it means to trust in Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. Help us to understand the place of good works and how, Father, our good works are often an offence in your nose. Help us, Father, to understand that the work we need to rely upon is a work done by Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a country that thinks it's not religious. But the truth is, Australians are all very religious people. They just don't do formal religion, like going to church or some type of formal service. And that suits most Australians quite nicely because they don't have to think of themselves as religious. This allows them to freely criticise the religious or religion without turning their criticism upon themselves. It's a lie, but it works for most people. The Australian religion is good works. It does good things. For most Australians, this is what they think. If there is a God, well, I'm a good person. There is no true religion. They all have truth, they all have falsehoods and they all teach people to be good. Well, I do good, so what need do I have of religion? This is the attitude of most Australians towards formal religion. And so the Australian religion, it rewards ignorance. How? Why? To the average Australian mind, all religions are about being good. Any thinking through of tricky questions or issues can only destroy the goal of their religion. What is that goal? Australians want peace of mind. That is what Australians want to accomplish with their religion. And I get it. It makes sense. But God's reality has an odd way of intruding upon man's religious uh, constructions. What happens when you get a 9-11 or a Bali bombing? What happens when a, a man will take a plane and fly it into a building? What do you do then? It's easy to write off the odd incident in it to a religious zealot, but when it happens over and over and over again, as it does across the globe, then the lie that all religions are basically the same, well, that lie breaks down. What then? For most Australians, they bunker down into their ignorance that they are not religious. And from that bunker, they persecute and snipe at anyone threatening the nicely constructed lie that they have built for themselves. From that position, they can attack and do attack anyone who dares disturb their ignorance. They do this because they have the goal of their religion, affluent, pleasurable peace, peace of mind. And peace is a good thing. And peace with wealth, even better. But if that pleasurable peace is achieved through willful ignorance, well then, take drugs and you'll achieve a pleasurable peace of mind, no matter the circumstances, which is where our society has gotten to. Okay, but is that how Christians want to live? What do we want to accomplish through our religion? That is the question we're asking of ourselves today. What do we want to accomplish 
with our religion. Today we'll watch Jesus answer this question. What do you think you will accomplish with your religion? Now, as we've had read, we're continuing our series in Matthew. Lastly, we're given a spiritual eye test. Do we see who Jesus is? And we saw John, John the Baptist. And though he knew Jesus was doing lots of good works, he didn't understand what they meant. The crowds, though hearing Jesus' words, saw he ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. And they asked, well... Why would a righteous man eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why isn't the righteous man hanging out with us righteous people? And so Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. Though Jesus was doing all these good things in plain view, yet many of the people did not understand their meaning. But to those who did perceive their meaning, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Or translated into the Australian religion, I will give you peace. And so our passage opens with Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain fields. And as they walk along, they're picking up heads of grain and eating. And as the religious leaders see them, they are incensed. The issue at hand is the Jewish religious laws. The disciples are committing the great evil of walking and eating on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was set up by God, and the word Sabbath just means rest. The Sabbath was set up by God when he saved his people from the Egyptians. It was meant to be a day of no work, a day of rest set aside for God. And on the whole, it was enjoyed by most Israelites. But to make sure that people were doing no work on the Sabbath and therefore apparently pleasing God, the religious leaders, they had created all these rules so that no one broke the Sabbath law, that no one broke the Sabbath rest. There was absolutely to be done no work on that day. And by work, they meant stuff for designed for human growth or economic growth. To get the idea of what they were sort of doing, here's some examples used by the Jews. And these show just how burdensome the rules can be. For instance, climbing a tree is forbidden because it leads to, well, it might lead to the breaking of twigs or tearing of leaves, which could be construed as reaping, i.e. separating one part of a plant from its growing source. Adding fresh water to a vase of cut flowers, all you women, because that's sowing, any activity that causes further plants to grow. Don't do hydroponic tomatoes. Making a bouquet of flowers, which is making a sheaf or bundling wheat, that could be bad. Drawing blood for a blood test, because that could be considered as slaughtering. I don't know what Jewish doctors do, but I'm not going there. You can't turn off a light switch because it's extinguishing a fire. And my personal favourite, sharpening a pencil, which is cutting or shape-altering any object to be fit for or make for better human use. Now, when you look at these rules, you think, these are ridiculous. But what's really scary 
that as you really think about it, you realise there's a certain type of logic to it. They are trying to avoid anything that removes trust in God's provision. And when you look at the Sabbath, the rules of Jesus' day, it is the reason why the religious leaders, they're so angry at Jesus' disciples. It is not that they're eating grain, it is that they have the audacity to take the heads of the grain from the stalks as they're walking along. They are reaping. If they didn't take the heads off, if they just walked along and went, they would have been fine. But that's the ridiculousness of the situation. They are so busy working out what is and isn't work that they're missing the point of the day. You would need a full-time degree to figure out if you could or couldn't do what you could and couldn't do. Not to mention that with all these rules, you'd be scared of your own shadow just in case it did some work. Jesus calls it a burden. And of course, if you're a religious leader, uh, there's always some amendment, some way around. For Israel, the Sabbath had become something different from its intended purpose. Instead of being a day set aside to reflect on God's mercy to Israel all those years ago, it became a day of slavish rule-keeping. And so Jesus uses an example to show their hypocrisy. He says to them, have you not read what David did when those who were with him were hungry? Now Jesus here refers to a specific incident that occurred to David when he was fleeing from Saul. Saul, in his jealous anger, had decided to kill David. As David was fleeing, he went to the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt with Israel. And there he ate the bread that was set aside for the priest. And there's a few ways to understand what the bread was and who it was for in the Israelite religious system. Understanding God's purpose for the bread, it's not important to understand what's going on. The point Jesus is making to the religious leader is this that the presence of God was symbolised in the temple or the dwelling place. And it's meant to be a symbol of God's rest. And so Israel should be thankful towards God for his mercy shown to them all those years ago. David had found sustenance, rest and respite at God's dwelling place as he fled for Saul. And in a similar way, the Sabbath day was meant to remind Israel of God's presence and his provision for them in the wilderness. It was meant to be a reminder of his love for them in saving them from the Egyptians. But they have completely failed to understand the Sabbath. They had turned it into a means of religious pride. You can almost hear the religious leader say, See God, look at how good we are at keeping your Sabbath." Aren't you just so blessed, God, to have people like us? And so they are enraged when Jesus claims that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And I think we can miss what Jesus means by this. I, I don't know about you, but I used to read this to mean that Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, gets to decide what is and isn't allowed to be done on the Sabbath. But I don't think that anymore. I think that misses the point. Jesus means something far more significant. He is not saying that he gets to decide what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. He does. 
But what he is saying is that here is what the Sabbath was always about. That is, in Jesus, Israel receives its true Sabbath rest. That he is the place of God's Sabbath. And that by extension, the way you relate to Jesus is the way you relate to God. They fail, and that is the religious leaders, fail to perceive that Jesus is the place of God's rest. And that failure, and the reason for that failure, comes out in Jesus' statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And here, as John wrote, Jesus quotes Hosea, uh, read, Jesus quotes Hosea 6.6. But when you you read it, you realise that Jesus changes a word. Hosea reads, I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. And the change in words is very significant. In the original Hebrew, the word faithful love is the Hebrew word hesed. And that word is an important word throughout the Bible. And it is usually applied to God. What it means is unfailing commitment to love. It's like a dogged determination to love. I'm going to do this and I will not fail. I'm going to love love you, come what may. It is the way the Bible describes God's character over and over again. It is his unrelenting, unfailing nature to love people. Now what is strange in Hosea is that the word is applied to man. What God wants is Israel's hesed, Israel's unfailing love towards him, come what may. That's what God wants, a heart that is fully devoted to him. That's what God is seeking from Israel. That is what the verse in Hosea means. So why the word change? Jesus changes the word to bring out what a heart fully devoted to God looks like. That is, He is showing the religious leaders, the Jewish religion, what it is supposed to look like. A heart that is fully devoted to God will be a heart that is merciful towards others. This is because a heart that is fully devoted towards God knows that it relies upon God's mercy towards us. But a heart that isn't fully devoted towards God will find ways to fake that devotion And Jesus is pointing out that their religious works are not about God at all, but about finding pride in what they do. Instead of having hearts that are fully devoted to God, their works are about covering over their proud and evil hearts. That is what their works are ultimately about. Their works are ultimately covering over the evil and the corruption which is in their own hearts. That is why they're getting so angry. After church last week, I was talking to Amy about her uh, ministry in Argentina. And for those who don't know, Amy has been here uh, telling us about the news and it's been a great super week. But as we were talking, she explained how liberation theology has penetrated the student movement in that country. Now, what that is, it, it doesn't really matter. 
All you need to know is that people are twisting the gospel. And as she spoke, Amy made the true observation that those pushing liberation theology have a good point, that there's truth in what they say, but yet they've ultimately rejected the gospel. They've changed it to suit themselves. The way they've done this is they've taken truths from the Bible and surrounded their, their lies in truths. That is the way you sell any lie. You wrap it in a bucket load of truth and hope no one notices. In the same way, the best way to cover up an evil and corrupt heart is to cover it in a bucket load of good works and then you hope no one notices your pride in your good works. That is what all the rules about the Sabbath are about, taking pride in how good you are and that is shown in your supposed good works. Their good works are about covering up their true heart. The religious leaders' lack of mercy shows their faulty hearts, shows that they have no mercy towards others. They just don't care. Their issue is pride. Their true heart is full of pride, and Jesus exposes that. So they reject him and plan to trap him. They gather at a synagogue, and that's just a fancy word for a Jewish church, and their idea is to trap Jesus. And so they place a paralysed man in a gathering. The reason they place this man amongst them is that his condition is not life-threatening. On the Sabbath, they were allowed to save life if circumstances warranted it. They just weren't allowed to do anything that would improve it. And so they asked Jesus... Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? In a sense, they're asking, are we allowed to make crutches or not on the Sabbath? He replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Jesus turns the trap upon the religious leaders. Of course, he answered, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But that is the trap. If they say it isn't, then they show themselves to be wrong. If they say it is lawful to do good, then they have to agree with Jesus, which again shows that they are wrong. Jesus has managed to turn the situation upon them. Whatever they answer, they will be wrong. So they take the dishonest way out. And I'm cheating a bit here. I'm using the other Gospels to draw this conclusion. They say nothing. And so Jesus heals the shriveled hand. He gives life to the man by returning function to the man's hand. And so they rejoice. They're excited. He does good, so God is amongst them. Of course that's the way they will react. No. Instead, they lose it. They conspire to kill him. But why? Why are they angry enough to kill him? Now, we're not given a motivating factor within the immediate context? Were they angry because Jesus was claiming divinity for himself? I'm sure they believed he's blaspheming God in some way. That is certain to be a factor. But they have the miracles. Clearly there's something significant about Jesus as Jesus relates to God. And they know it. So it's more than they think he's blaspheming. Is it that he's showing that they are wrong? Again, I'm sure it's a factor. 
Their power is built upon their authority as religious leaders and teachers. Anyone who comes along and undermines that authority by showing that they are wrong, well, that would be a threat to them. But again, I don't think that is the whole answer. And certainly the immediate context gives no suggestion as to this being the prime motive. The only place we are given any hint as to what is going on is Jesus' statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, which, as we saw above, shows that they have a heart problem. What Jesus does in the miracle is reveal their true heart, and that heart is corrupt and evil and full of pride. That is why they are angry. Think about your, the average non-Christian Australian. You might be the average non-Christian Australian. You're a good person. You don't steal. You certainly haven't murdered anyone, well, at least not this week. You pay your taxes. You look after your kids. You care for your wife or your husband. You give money to charity and you do lots of good works or you do some good works for volunteer organisations. You are the example of the good Australian. Now imagine if someone comes along and says to you, you know all your good works? They're meaningless garbage. They're all about covering up the pride and evil which is in your own heart. Do you think God doesn't see your heart? Do you think God doesn't know the truth? Do you think God is fooled by you? You're not fooling God. You're only fooling yourself. Do you think the average Australian would want to hear that? No. They'd be enraged. And then they would be just like the Pharisees who were enraged at Jesus. The Pharisees, they're so enraged that they want to kill Jesus. For Australians, they don't have to go to the bother of killing Jesus. The Pharisees did it for them. All Australians have to do is ignore Jesus. Problem solved. But it isn't solved. Not the problem of the proud, corrupt, evil heart. For the, in the Australians' kind indifference to Jesus and the things of God, they are treating Jesus exactly the same way as the Pharisees did. But time and difference allows them to be nicer about it. But given the same situation, given the same circumstances, make no mistake, the average non-Christian the world over would act just like the Pharisees. They would do anything to get rid of Jesus because in Jesus, the truth about themselves is revealed. And that is what people hate, the truth about proud, evil hearts, which always use good works to cover over the evil. When we look at the Pharisees, we see them standing before the man the only man who was only the, who was the only truly innocent man to ever walk the earth. And what is their plan? What is their great idea? What is their goal to protect themselves? They want to kill him. Their evil is exposed because in Jesus' teachings, they are exposed. All their acts through which they claim to be servants of God they're meaningless. And when the only true servant of God showed up, when he arrived, 
They want him dead. Jesus is the only true servant, the only innocent man to ever walk this earth. And Jesus, knowing what the Pharisees want to do with him, well, he leaves. And Matthew says it is to fulfil a prophecy from Isaiah 42. I'm not going to read out the prophecy. The point of the quote is this. It refers to Jesus' means of achieving his mission, his goal, his religious goal. That is, he will bring about the great victory. He will bring about justice to the nations through gentle means. This is the opposite of what the Israelites are thinking. It is so important when you're reading the Gospels to keep in mind Jewish hopes for a saviour. The Israelite nation is looking for a conquering king to throw out the Romans. They are looking for someone to raise an army, raise the banner, put out the call on the streets. They are looking for a leader to rally around and fight. They want a leader that will raise an army and then they will fight as the servants of God. But that is not how Jesus is going to fight. That is not how he's going to bring justice to the nations. He will raise no army. He will lift no weapon. The only thing that will be lifted is Jesus himself upon a cross. On the cross, Jesus will do the thing that we never could. He will bear the punishment for sin that we could never pay for. On the cross, Jesus bears the full depth of God's anger at our sinful, rebellious hearts. That is the religious work of Jesus, to die upon the cross for the sins of his people. That is what makes Jesus the true servant of God and the fulfilment of Isaiah 42. He lays down his life for his people. And when you understand that, you will understand Christianity is not about our works. It is about his work. That is how Christians find true rest, not through working for it, but by trusting Jesus has given it to us. That is why Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He gives rest. He gives peace to people. So Christianity is not about what we do, but about what has been done for us. There is no place for pride before God in religious works in Christianity. Because every work says we don't need Jesus. The chance to do good works in Christianity is just a further expression of God's mercy and love towards us. The chance to do good works, it's God's grace and opportunity towards us. The true heart of Christianity is this. Jesus, as the only true servant of God, gives rest the only true rest to his people, true peace. And it is the true peace that so many in our world are looking for. It is only his work upon the cross that gives us life. There is nothing we can do, no goal we can achieve, no act that will bring us peace with God. It is only Jesus' work upon the cross that any of us can rely upon to have the peace and the rest that so many in the world are looking for. If you want to know 
that peace of God. If you want to know the true Sabbath, then the only way to experience it is to humble yourself and trust in Jesus. The only way to have true peace is to acknowledge our failures and trust in the only human work that will ever deal with God's anger. That is Jesus' death upon the cross. And as the Lord of the Sabbath said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he came to give us the true peace, the true rest of God. We ask, Father, as people who often want to take pride in our, in our own works, have mercy on us and keep us to turning to Christ, turning to what he has done, not finding pride in our religious works, but finding pride in what he has done, that all people might sing the praise of Jesus, who is the true Lord and Saviour of all, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.